Well, I think we're finally online for those of you who joined us, and you just now got on. We had a little bit of technical difficulty, but I think that's all resolved. So since we are, and some different people watch us online, this morning, today is Carl Polly's birthday. So as you know, Carl hasn't been able to join us because of his family and some different concerns they have with his father's health. But happy birthday, Carl, from all of us here. You all want to sing to him? Okay, me either. So, But happy birthday, Carl. <laughs> we would sing to you, but you don't want to hear me. Uh, and also, my Aunt Michelle watches from North Carolina, and I noticed it was her birthday today as well. came up on my calendar, so happy birthday. And uh, good to see you. Some faces are starting to return. We're thankful for your presence here this morning. It's kind of an all-inclusive service. <clears throat> I kind of like to do this because... Sometimes people, you know, you learn practice by doing it. You learn theology by doing it. And one of the things that we say uh, at Trinity is we are a family. When I came, we changed the, the meeting name from a business meeting to a family meeting. I'm going to explain my theology for saying that it's not business, it's family. Uh, because it is a family issue. Yes, it includes business, but what happens there? Family comes first, uh, not business. And you know, you're always, it's always interesting when you go into a church and you have different people with different mindsets. You know, we have people, lots of people from business backgrounds. It's hard to come from a business background and then come into a church and try to apply theology to a business background because if you don't watch, business drives doctrine instead of doctrine driving the affairs. So it's, it's an unusual balance, and if, if you've never had that experience of being part of a church leadership, you get kind of both of those. You get people, relationships, and truth, and then you get business aspects of being wise, doing this, doing that, and you mix these two together, and there has to be some integration. So this morning, we're, yes, starting a new series, just a few weeks for Christmas. I don't know if you read the newsletter. I don't know who reads the newsletter. I get one or two responses every now and then that says, yes, you know, appreciate that. Hopefully you read it, but if you did, you notice we're going to start a new couple of weeks series. It'll conclude on Christmas night, Christmas Eve night. Uh, so today is the first in that series, The Mystery of Godliness. So I'm going to share a few scriptures, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to share a couple of points. Then we're going to take communion together, and then we're going to transition right into my third point, which is going to be the three documents that have been on the table uh, since September for up for approval this morning. Uh, it's the points of conviction, the doctrinal statement, and the membership agreement. If you didn't grab one, I Hope you have. We've mentioned them several times. They've been in the bulletin and the announcements very frequently. But those were for your review. We're going to ask you to approve those this morning and make them binding. The first service has already done that. And then at the end, we'll have uh, approval for our 2021 annual budget. So let's pray again after all that, and we'll start. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We look forward to hearing from you. And we thank you for this truth that guides our life. We ask your blessings over the next few moments as we share together in the family life of our church. And as we think about what the Apostle Paul called this morning the mystery 
that produces godliness. So change our hearts and our minds this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Did you all hear that? Everything created by God is good. You like a good old piece of sausage? You know, a lot of people don't like sausage. Uh, and I understand why. You know, the Jews had a real problem eating pork. And I understand the benefits and the health hazards to pork. But do you not think that a sausage biscuit tastes good? Is it unholy to eat a sausage biscuit? Uh, what do you think? Well, you don't have to tell me. But I saw some people in the Middle East eating things I couldn't believe they'd eat. Uh, we've been around the world traveling. People want us to eat bugs, insects. Uh, one place uh, wanted somebody to eat brains out of an animal. It was a delicacy. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Some of you all love them. The old mountain people around our home go kill squirrels. Guess what they would eat? Squirrel brains and eggs. Doesn't that gross everybody out? Uh, and you say to yourself, oh, my gracious, I shouldn't be eating that. What, what does Paul say? If you can pray over it and you can swallow it, you can eat it. If you can pray over it, you can eat it. Now, perhaps Paul here was also referring to some people had uh, went into the ancient marketplace temples and, uh, you know, these pagan deities would offer up an animal for slaughter and then they would offer it up to a false god and then they would mark it down at Walmart 50% because, you know, they'd already used it. And so some of the economic Christians would go through and say, why are we paying full price at the GMO-free store? Uh, why don't we go over here and we can get 50% off a T-bone? And they would say, oh, but it's been dedicated to an idol. What, what did Paul say? That doesn't mean a thing. Don't offend another believer by doing it, but if you want to go buy that 50% off steak, if you can pray over it, you can eat it. It doesn't matter. But now don't, don't you cause a believer to stumble by doing that. It's better off not to do that. But there's nothing wrong with it. If you, if you can pray over it, you can eat it. All right? So notice what else he says. Everything is created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. 
Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Do you know what a pastor is supposed to do? He is supposed to do what I'm doing right now. Read out loud long portions, even whole books of the Bible for you. Public reading. The public hearing. The very first verses of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy of this book. God's word is meant to be read out loud, publicly, and heard. So, Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. What does that mean, to exhort? That means to take what is read and urge people to do it. Do this. Do this. Let me just do that for a minute. The previous lines that I read, Paul said, Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness with contentment profits much, right? Why did he say that? Because exercise for the body is good. It makes us healthy. Hopefully it causes us to have a better life. doesn't guarantee you'll live longer. I know people who are the most fit health nuts that died in their 50s or earlier. So a healthy body doesn't guarantee you you're going to live to 95 with no arthritis and never have a problem. But it is good for you. But listen to me. Bodily exercise only profits a little because it's only tied to this life. But godliness with contentment is much greater. Why? Because it has value in this life and also in the life to come. You know, you can be what we would call a carnal Christian that's just ripped and fit with the beach body. And if you don't live to honor the Lord when you die in that wonderful body that you've made, everything you have stays right there because you haven't advanced anything for the life to come. Whereas on the opposite side, if you have lived your life in godliness here and you've taken care of your body and you've served the Lord, then you have profit in this life and the life to come. So, you see what I just did? I just exhorted you. Focus as much on your spiritual life as you do your physical life, or maybe a little bit more, and your life will profit you in the age to come. Do that! Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation. Look what else he says. And to teaching. 
I didn't see anywhere in there where he told Timothy to scream and to yell and to holler. Now, I know that exhortation sometimes has with it high-pitched voices, but, you know, I don't think God calls the pastor to come up here and scream at the people and talk down to you and tell you how rotten. And I mean, we all, we're all rotten. But we need to be taught how we're rotten, don't we? We're rotten because every one of us have one thing in common, and that is the sin nature. Our intellect, emotion, and will, everything about us has been affected by the fall of Adam. And because we are all sinners, we all need a Savior. And so we're all in the same boat as far as that goes. And so we teach each other why we need to be godly, because after we've trusted Christ... The desire to sin doesn't go away, does it? It stays there. The desire for pride stays there. The desire for greed. The desire for always being right and selfish and always having our way. That never leaves the believer because it's tied in with our sin nature. So if we're going to be godly, as Paul says, and this mystery of godliness which prompts to change the way we live... It has to be taught to us. How do, how do we do that? It's one of the responsibilities, Paul says here, of the pastor. Look what he says. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. That's an interesting verse. I've talked through this book before. But if you remember, Timothy was in Ephesus when, when Paul, before that, before they had left, the elders of the church gathered together and they put their hands on Timothy. And some people say, well, the elders gave him this gift. But that is not what it means here. They recognized that Timothy had this gift in him. And so Paul tells Timothy, when you were saved, the Holy Spirit put in you a spiritual gift. And Timothy, your responsibility is to fan the flame of what was put in you. You know, as an elder, I can't, I can't uh, bestow a spiritual gift upon you. I can't, me and Brian can't get together and gather every elder in Christiansburg and give you a spiritual gift. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But the elders recognized that in Timothy and they laid their hands on him as a form of ordination and empowered him to ministry. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, thank you for your word again. I pray you'll bless in the next few moments as we evaluate what it means to be a family, a church family, led by the mystery of godliness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of the word godliness, Paul said, 1 Timothy 3, Great is the mystery of godliness. What do you think of when you think of godliness? Well, one man defines godliness as reverence for or devotion to God. That is something that produces a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute, because 1 Timothy 3.16, if you have your Bible there, Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, 
vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Most people believe that was a praise chorus. It was an early hymn written by the early church, and that Paul took this hymn that summarized the ministry of our Savior and basically said when we think about Him, His coming to die on the cross for our sins, proof that He was God by the resurrection, the fact that the message has spread throughout all the world and is being preached to the nations, the fact that this one is being believed on by people in the world and we can't explain how, this message goes out and this person believes and that person believes, and He was taken up into glory. When, when that concept of our Savior is heard, preached, and believed, it produces something in our life that changes us. Now let me ask you a practical question here. If someone asks you to define yourself, describe yourself, who is John Altizer? Who is you and you and you? If I ask you that what is the very first thing you would say? You know, I actually watched this. A man was a basketball coach. And he, his whole life was driven to recruiting and to trying to find people and making his students better. His whole life was developed by that. He went to a dying man in a hospital who was blind that couldn't see this man. They got introduced to each other. And the guy looked at him and said, who are you? The blind man asked the man, the coach, who are you? And he said, well, I'm a basketball coach. And uh, he said, what if basketball got took, taken away? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a history teacher. And uh, I teach it. He said, well, what if you lost your job? He said, well, uh, I'm a dad. And uh, I'm happily married. He said, heaven forbid, what happens? if somehow or another your family is taken out of your life? He said, well, uh, uh, well, I'm a Christian. He said, are you? He said, well, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Which one defines your life? Your job or your relationship with Christ? And he told the man, he said, you've got your priorities backwards. He said, you see, because when you say that I am first and foremost above everything else in my life, I am one who has placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. He said, when you say that, that guides the rest of your life. I, I am a, a child of the living God because I've placed faith in Christ's death on the cross for my sins. And because I've done that, God has allowed me to have employment that I am a this. And God has allowed me to have a family and I am a this. But I want you to know something. The fact that I am a child of God guides everything else in my life. I want to tell you something, folks. Are you listening? That's good. That's good. He was manifest in the flesh. You see that in that first line? You know, that's a great time to, to remember he was manifest in flesh, isn't it? 
You see that little cup and wafer you have there this morning? Do you read the little writing on the top of it? This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Are y'all ready? We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning because this is when he says to do it. So as we open up and we take this wafer, this loaf, I'm going to ask someone in the congregation if you would like to stand up and thank the Lord for giving his life and become manifest in the flesh for us. And if you would, please pray for the bread. Amen. He was manifest in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. The message that is the mystery of godliness. Christ Jesus impacts every area of our life, and we do this to remember what he did. Paul mentions to Timothy, and I've talked about this, that we have to train ourselves in godliness. We have to train ourselves to remember who we are and whose we are and why we are to live a certain way, don't we? And so train yourself for godliness and here is why. So when you think about the church, how do you think about it this morning? Well, first of all, I've, I've got three F's this morning. First of all, the church is known as a family. We, we talk about having a family meeting or we are the family of God. Why in the world do we say a family? Well, notice chapter 3, verse 16 again, very carefully, or 14 and 15. Paul says what? That you may know how to behave in the house of God. Who lives in a house? A family. Is this building the house of God? You all answer me. Please say no. This building is not the house of God. The house of God is the people. If you and I were to move over to the McDonald's parking lot and we were to have our meeting over there, guess what? The house of God has moved. It is not this right here. It is the people who are gathered together, believers of Christ, who do the things that the Word of God tells us to do, we are the house of God. Now, sometimes we have a ha habit of saying the building is, you know, that is the house. Of, we're going to the house of God. Well, when you say that, just remember the house of God is the people. So, first of all, it's the people. And second of all, it's the practice of how we treat each other. You know what Paul told Timothy how to treat someone in the church? Look at chapter 5 since you've got your Bible open. Look at what he says in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. 
Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. You know, there are limitations upon being able to speak truth into someone's life. Did you know that? Uh, after 20, some, 20 years in, in ministry, I have realized, are you all ready for this? I can't change one person. I can't. Only God can do that. And it, it, is, it is not my responsibility to change people. My responsibility is to speak the truth, to live the truth, do the truth, and allow God and His Word to do the change in someone's life. Paul told Timothy, he said, when you address an older man in this congregation, you don't go to him like you, you do an authority. You go to him in the manner of encouraging him. Not Don't rebuke an older man. And young folks, let me just share a bit of wisdom with you this morning. You better listen. Because if you ever want to look like a fool... Go up to an old man and rebuke him. And I don't even care if you're right. It will make you look terrible because it's not a biblical precedent. Now, it doesn't mean you can't speak truth. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be honest. You know, when, it, when Paul uses the idea of encouraging here, he's not saying, you know, just squelch back and because he's old, let him be an old grouchy thing and you know, go on and have his own way and everybody cater to him he's not saying that he's saying make sure when you approach an older man you do it in a way that's different instead of going up and saying bill you're the most hateful old man i've ever seen in my life and nobody can stand to be around you instead of doing that in the church family maybe you'd go up to say bill tell me a little bit about your life uh, tell me about your childhood. How, tell me about how you were raised. Find out a little bit about Bill so you understand why he's like that. Why, why does Bill act this way and so forth? Well, you know, we know he's a sinner, but invest in his life a little bit, and that way you can encourage him and not rebuke him. So, Timothy, treat him like you would a what? Your father. Now, let me just stop for a minute. Your father. Some people, bless your heart, have a father that is very difficult. I've talked to some people that have fathers that are horrible to try to get along with. And I feel for you. But just let me share something with you. The power of an encouraging word does mighty things to change a heart. So I just encourage you to try that. Try that approach. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. So when, when you deal with younger men, Timothy, you deal with them just like you would your brother. Now that could be dangerous in some houses, you know, because nobody can get madder at each other than two brothers when they're fighting. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, you, you, you know how brothers are? You remember that old country song that came out, Brotherly Love? I don't even remember who read it. I think it was, or wrote it, Whitley and somebody. But he's talking about how they fight over the same bike, and then they make fun of each other. But in the end, in the end, don't you dare fight the brother because they're going to come together and they're going to stick together for one another because 
because they're brothers. And so Paul tells Timothy, when you approach somebody in the, in the body, you, you approach the younger guy as your brother in Christ. Look what he goes on to say. Older women as what? Are you all reading? Older women as mothers. So, so when you're a younger pastor and you deal with older ladies in your congregation, you, you treat them as you would treat your own mother. And hopefully that is meant to be with respect, with dignity, with honor. And, and you're to do that in such a way that, you know what? It's, it's absolutely blameless before people. This is, this is how you're to treat each other. Why, why do we do this? Because we're a family. And then he goes on to say, younger women as sisters. And then he adds this little caption here, in all purity. The church is a place of purity. You don't go to younger people with motives. And sometimes you have to safeguard yourself when you are in ministry and so forth with younger and more attractive type people. Folks, there's nothing more disgraceful in ministry than a fallen pastor to immorality. I'm telling you, you're talking about a black eye on the church. It is a black eye. Notice what Paul told Timothy. You are to guard yourself against younger women. Or you are to think about them in the mind, first of all, as a sister. You know, a brother and a sister don't ever have any kind of impure thoughts. And this is what's to guide a church member's mind in relationship when they're dealing with this relationship. I'm telling you, folks, the church is a family. And I've just given you a couple of little verses here. The New Testament is filled with this concept of how to treat each other in a family way. And you're not going to find anywhere in the New Testament where the church comes together to fight over a business meeting. You're just not going to do it. We've made that up, and let's just go ahead and say it. The church made it up. It was all a part of the body life. You say, well, what about, what about? I'm just telling you. I've searched it high and low. You're not going to find it. You find leadership, and you find congregational approval, submission in the sense, or either rejection. People have a voice, by the way. We're not to suppress that voice. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. But, but when somebody's opposed or there's some issue... We still treat them like family. We don't go to war with them. So, a family. The household of God. Notice the second thing Paul says. The church is not only a family, but it's also a foundation. Now, when you look at verse uh, 15, 16, where Paul says that the church is the pillar. You see that word? The pillar in verse 15 and buttress of the truth. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. What is a pillar and a buttress? Maybe I could translate it this way, a, a support and a platform. Okay, I think it could be actually translated similar to that. But when you look at this image up here, this is like a bridge. 
And when you see these big pillars, these beams, these supports, what are they actually doing? Now, we're focusing on the pillar. It's actually holding up the bridge. When you drive over this, you're not thinking about necessarily the, the pillar, are you? What are you looking at? You're looking at the bridge. And so when Paul says that the church is a pillar, uh, a support of the truth, what is, what is our point and our purpose in our existence? We are to support what? This. If somebody ever asks you, what is truth? How would you answer that question? Right there is truth, folks. That's truth. You say, well, uh, that's been proven wrong. Show me. Show me where. It's been attacked many times. Do you know that every attack on the Word of God that's been tried to show that it's false has been countered and there's evidence that it's not? I mean, this is our faith. Our, our faith, listen to me, rests on whether or not this is true. So now, what has happened in our culture? This has been just completely thrown away, and it's not even considered anymore. It's not even in the picture. It's antiquated. It's old. But for the believer, for the believer, this is, this is our truth. This is what we live by. This is why we treat our wife like we do. This is why we, we work for our employer like we do. This is why we take our time this morning to come here. This is why we give our money to something that's a whole lot bigger than we are. To spread this message, as Paul says, among the nations. So, this is true. And it's a pillar. The church is a pillar of this truth. We are to hold it up. There's nothing worse, I said it this morning, there's nothing worse than a church that has abandoned the truth. You know, a lot of mainline denominations back years ago, you can study this in church history, from the 1800s when the Enlightenment came about, you know, that was the movement that man's mind uh, became exalted. This was years prior. During the Renaissance, you get to the 1800s. What begins to happen in the 1800s? Higher criticism, uh, doubting the Word of God, and all kinds of stuff comes that way. Charles Darwin comes on the scene. His, his dad was a what? What was Darwin's dad? Somebody say it. He was a pastor. And he wanted Darwin to, to be a pastor. He went to seminary training. Did you all know that? Dropped out. Then he wanted to be in a, a medical examiner, like a medical field. And he went in and got in a work of a cadaver, a dead body. Couldn't handle that. All kinds of things going through his mind. You know what was happening in his world during that time? Have you ever studied that? It's amazing. All of the things, the doubting of God's word and liberalism just pounding on the churches. Jesus not being who he said he was. And, all that, and the foundation of the truth was attacked. During that time, Darwin turns to the theory of evolution. Because of... His life events. And guess what's happened from that day? That has been supported as 100% truth. Or at least a plausible, valid theory, which a lot of things are based on. I'm just telling you. 
What happened? The church, the pillar crumbled. And the pillar is still crumbling in large part today. Anytime a church abandons the fundamentals of the faith, it no longer is a pillar to truth. It's a pillar to lies and error. Does that sound harsh and mean? No, it's truth. So we have to stand for the truth. The church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Well, a family, a foundation, and I need another AF. I told the people this morning, Monroe inspired me here. A fountain. A fountain. What does that mean? A fountain, something that, that the living water comes out of. A church, this is what a church is to be. We are to be a people that the living water of truth flows from our mouth, our life, our actions, the way we treat people. Everything about us, folks. And let me tell you something. When you're a part of Trinity Community Church, but more importantly, when you're a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have trusted Him as your Savior, we represent Him in everything we do. And it's so important. It's crucial that we be a fountain of life to people. We love them. And so this is what we're the fountain of, the pillar and the support for for the truth. And once again, if I ask you, what is the truth? What would you say? It's the Word of God. And that is exactly why Paul goes into that very next hymn that captured the manifestation, the made flesh of Christ, and the, the, the exaltation of Christ. He is God. And He changes our life. That's exactly what Paul meant. Now... As we think about this, notice what the text says. Each local church should support the witness of other believers. You know, we all live lives that are very similar to each other. We support that, the witness of other believers, and hold that testimony up before the world. What the believer is to do is to proclaim the truth, including the whole truth of God that he has revealed in his word, but especially... God's redemptive plan in Christ. What is our primary goal as a church? It is to get the message out that Jesus saves sinners. That is our responsibility. And we are the first one to stand in line and say we're sinners. The first. Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard that song by Casting Crowns called The Stained Glass masquerade y'all ever heard that few people i should have brought the lyrics here this morning i started to let you hear it the stained glass masquerade behind this screen up here is a stained glass you know churches were famously known for stained glass and you can study architecture and figure out why they were fascinated with stained glass but nevertheless this man from Casting Crowns began to write this song because he was a song leader, a worship leader, and he would notice people who would walk into the church and they would sit down and they would start looking around at other people. And they pretended their life was so perfect and nothing was wrong and everything was wonderful. And this person who came into this church was broken, beat up, battered, and she began to look around and she saw all these, are you ready? Perfect people. 
And she thought to herself, I don't fit in here. And she gets up and she's leaving. And the worship leader's looking out going, oh my gracious. I see such and such and such and such and such and such. And I know their life is broken. But instead of seeing that broken person and going over there to them and sharing and telling them you're glad they're here and you want to get to know them, instead of doing that, he, he, he says they sit there and pretend they're in a stained glass masquerade. And the person leaves the church and feels like that place is too perfect for me. Now, I, I'm talking to you as a family this morning. You have to picture your attendance at Trinity kind of like sitting around a family table. And you know, if one of the neighbors hobbled in off the street and you saw that they were in need and they were hurting or they were lonely and sitting by themselves and maybe they looked distraught or whatever, what would you do while you were at the table? Would you go shut the blind? And say, just let them go on and starve. Or would you go to the door and walk over and say, hey, we have plenty for you. Would you, would you like to come in? And I'm going to tell you something. As a family, when a, when a church starts acting like that as a family, we will never be able to hold the people that God allows us to minister to. Because the bottom line truth is this. Every person in this church is broken or on the brink of brokenness. And don't you ever fool yourself that you're so holy that it can't or won't happen. It will. That is the, that is the spot of all of us. And we have to be honest about that. And that's the family of God. Father, thank you this morning for truth. Thank you for Christ who comes to save sinners of whom we are chief. And thank you, Lord, for this mystery of who he is and what it does in our life. Help us, Lord, as a church to truly believe that and to live that and then ultimately to be that. And we thank you for it because it's so important in our life and in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when we think about a pillar for the truth, this morning there have been three documents in the back. And I'm going to go over them quickly. I'm not going to read them because we've had them out for three months, so hopefully you have read them. But the first is the doctrinal statement, or what we would call the statement of faith. So this is basically explains what we believe about the Bible, about the God of heaven, the Trinity, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about man being created as, as a, his fallen state, salvation by grace through faith. I hope you all really do understand what the grace of God is. The grace of God, the message that just broke my heart, changed my life. We believe that, we preach that. You know, we're. Another one. 
He must have got those batteries store. That's two times that's happened. The grace of God. Righteous living. We believe that. And we believe in the existence of Satan. We believe in the second coming of Christ. And it's in two phases. The future life, bodily resurrection, eternal judgment. The vision of church and state. Uh, priesthood of believers. Lordship of Christ. And the importance of the local church. So this is our foundational doctrine. Does anybody have any questions on this, this doctrinal statement? Okay, the second document is the points of conviction. It kind of goes along with the doctrinal statement, but this one is more fluid, okay? What do we mean? Well, we don't want this to be 100 pages long, and there will be issues that come up in life, that are not specifically addressed in this doctrinal statement, but this doctrinal statement is the fountain of truth which leads us to what? Our points of conviction. So, in this instance, we believe the Bible talks to us about civil government, and we talk about here our points of conviction on that. hope you've read it. The second one, and this is a big one, and I want you to understand this one, and it's one of the major... Uh, things that it's facing us today, and that is human sexuality. You know, we as a church are not against things. We are for something. Did you hear me? Don't let people twist your words. We are for truth, okay? And what is truth? Do you all remember what I said? This is truth. So when we look at God's Word... We evaluate what, what it says about human sexuality and what do we come up with. That the, the legitimate marriage is the joining of one biological man and one biological woman together. Okay? You have to add biological. You have to add male, female. Trying to be as specific as we can. You know, it's not saying we're out there against everything in the world. This is what we're for. And anything that's against that, Guess what? God's against it. He is against it. Now, I know I'm on air. I know it's recorded. I know things can and will be used against you. So let me be just as clear as I can. Our church, Trinity Community Church, is not a hater of LGBTQIAC. There's all kinds of letters still coming to come. We don't hate people, folks. We love people. But I want you to hear me closely. The Word of God says that actions in LGBTQIAC are sin. God said that. God, the one who made male and female and made them for each other, God said that. And if we are going to be a pillar and a support of truth and that's the Word of God, then we're not up here making this up. We have to repeat what God says about it. And let me just say, once again, all of us are in the same boat. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs a Savior. I was sharing this past week in our staff. I am actually was a colleague with a, with a man who is writing his doctrinal dissertation. Are you all ready for this? on the role of the local church 
in the turn of the LGBTQ movement. This is what he says. LGBTQ is going to get a huge push. It's going to be legislated. It's going to be acted on. There's going to be a large sweeping pass from our youth. They're all going to get in it, and then they're going to find out it causes this and this and this. And he thinks there's going to be a huge turn, and a lot are going to be saved. And then they're going to have to be reincorporated back in the church. So he's addressing how is the church supposed to handle someone who comes out of that movement and trusts Christ as Savior and love them as a brother or a sister. Now, I want to ask you that piercing question. What, what if a person who thought they were another sex went and actually had a procedure and after that realized that it wasn't exactly what they thought it was going to be. It didn't bring the fulfillment. And, have, and somebody shared Christ with them and they got saved. And they came in here to this church to worship this morning. Let me ask you a question. How would you treat them? A genuine conversion now. And this was his premise. 99% plus of the churches aren't ready to handle that situation. Something to think about. But the point is, we're clear on human sexuality, okay? What we believe about family relationships, what we believe about lawsuit between believers, I hope you read this, abortion, we do spell that out, inspiration and interpretation of Scripture, sign gifts, evolution, and the rapture of the church. Okay, any questions on the points of conviction? And by the way, this can expand, and that's the reason we have this. It can be expanded as new movements come about, and we expand our points of conviction. We bring it back before you. We share that with you, and we ask for your endorsement and approval. Okay? The third and final document is the membership agreement, and like I said, I'm not going to stand up here and read it, but I do want to explain it. In order for you to be a voting, participating member of Trinity Community Church, this document is mandatory. Okay, so you can attend here all you want, and you're welcome, and we love you, and we want you, but until you sign this paper and turn it in that you agree, we can't officially count you as being part of our membership role, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and say this. A lot of bigger churches today don't even have membership. And one of the reasons why they don't uh, is because there is liability, legal liability with membership, okay? So big churches like BCF and Blue Ridge and larger churches, and I could name several more, don't even have membership, so they don't even have to worry about this. However, when we discuss this in our leadership and our staff, we think that there is evidence in the New Testament for membership. And membership not only uh, identifies people you can count on and people who are a part of your body, but it also includes people that you can hold responsible. So I want you to hear me this morning. You know, If you're here and you go run off on your wife and you go run away with another woman, we're going to come chase you. And you may hate me for that. I don't care. I'm doing it because I love you. If you turn into an alcoholic, 
and you start doing things against your family, we're going to come. We're going to talk to you. Not arrest you. We want to talk to you because we love you. And we're going to, we're going to come, come after you just like the Lord would do. And so part of being a member of a church is being willing to say, I'm willing to let myself be held accountable by the leadership and other members in this church. That's what a membership agreement is really about. So you have to sign that. And church discipline as well goes along with it. And there's also a statement here on mediation, which uh, the law firm we have a retainer with uses this form of mediation. And so that's why we put it before you. Okay. Any questions on these three documents? If not, we're going to consider ourselves in business, okay? In family business. So do we have a motion to approve the three documents as presented to be binding on Trinity Community Church to supersede any document from this point on? Do we have a motion? Jim Perkinson makes a motion. Do we have a second? Chris Webb makes a second. Any questions on these three? Okay, all in favor say aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Now, let me just say that the motion carries with one opposition. The second thing we're going to talk about is the budget this morning. Now, it's also been out for quite a while, and Brian Gibbs, I think, is in the back. Brian, come forward if you would, please. I put him on the spot in the last one, but he's, he had notice on this one. So if you have questions on the 2021 budget, uh, we're going to make a motion and a second, and then we'll have questions, okay? So here's the 2021 budget as presented. There's basically, you can see the changes in the percent. One question was asked this morning about security, why it was so much higher. The answer was we're going to put cameras around the main building so that we can have recordings and observe everything. Uh, the second thing was there was a little bit of a raise, 2% raise that the finance committee gave the administration. We had no part of that, so that was on their own. Um, and I think that pretty much summarizes what it was. So we're presenting the 2021 budget for a motion for approval. So do we have a motion? Jim Huff makes the motion. Do we have a second? Paul makes a second. Any questions? You're free to ask. Any questions? All right, all in favor, say aye. Any opposed? Okay, motion carried and budget is finished. Well, folks, this is our family meeting. So we're glad that you're part of our family. We're thankful to our Lord, and we look forward to this wonderful, beautiful Christmas season. And let me just say this, as a church family, Corona has really thrown a glitch in a lot of things. But we're excited here at Trinity to see what God has done. Let me, let me just share a few things with you to encourage you. God has caused people to step up from our congregation and take, take responsibility in things that we would have never imagined they would have taken and done a stellar job at them. 
we've actually got people in our church now who are coming to us and sharing burdens that they have to reach people and to do things in the community that pre-COVID may have never even entered their mind. So Corona has given people a chance to reflect on what's important and the impacts of isolation, the impacts of being secluded, and in, in many ways it's caused people to think about others. And you know, when a church starts thinking about others instead of themselves, great things happen. Great things happen. So we, we see lots of good things and so many opportunities in 2021. Let me, let me just share another one real quick. So our, our youth was supposed to go with one of the mission teams all far away to do community projects. Well, due to corona, the planning and everything, that, that gets changed. So guess what we're planning right here in our community to have our own work camp. You know, you want to get involved in that? You want to go help build some things for people that are, that are in need and have, we want to be able to do that. So God is bringing about some good things and we're excited for the year 2021. I hope you are too. And I hope right now God puts burdens in your heart and life to reach people and you, you share those. Our home groups at Trinity ha have just surpassed what I thought they would do. And if you're not involved in a home group, you're missing out, okay, because these groups are, are doing well. They love each other. They're flourishing. So get involved or start one, okay? I think it will help. So God is doing great things, and we're excited for what he's going to do. Father, thank you again. Bless our day and the year ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.